Welcome to The Deep Dive. I'm your host, Philip McKenzie. I'm an anthropologist strategist with a focus on culture and humanity-centered design. I'm Brooklyn-born and Brooklyn-made. Every week, I will bring you guests from a wide variety of backgrounds who, despite their different areas of expertise, share traits in common. They aim high, push boundaries, and make things happen. Their experiences drive insights. So Douglas, it's a pleasure to have you again with me on on the deep dive. I think this is our second time recording for this show, but you were also on my previous show. So we have a history, you know, and it's and it's a history that I appreciate because I'm always like very invigorated and excited by the way in which you you look at the world, where we're going, where we are, and, and combining a lot of things that I think are really important. So Obviously, the the newest book is Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. And before we really, really get into the deep parts of the book, one line hopped out at the very beginning. And I want to give you an opportunity to, to discuss it with me because it's something that I've wrestled with as well, where you say you don't want to be mistaken for a futurist. It's a term that I don't love either, but it's funny whenever I tell people that about why I don't like the term futurist, and we're not going to go into my reasons. I want to hear why you put that so so quickly at the front of the book. You're one of the people I cite as, in my mind, being deserving. If we're going to use the term, you're someone who I always say is deserving of the term. Most people who use the term are complete charlatans and you know snake oil salesmen. But you're not any of those things. And so I want to give you an uh, uh, opportunity to talk about the term and, and why you put that line in there. Well, I mean, a, a lot of people who like are interested in my work or certainly business people who are interested in my work or want to hire me for something are they're all gamblers, right? That's what the stock market is. That's what investing is in financialization. You're gambling, right? So you're saying, oh, you know. There's not going to be a lot of pork bellies next year, so I'm going to bet on those. Or, oh, you know, chips are going to be big. Or, oh, the Chinese are going to come up with a new chip technology that makes ours obsolete. So I got to know that so I can bet against it with these futures. And so these guys are looking for any hint at what numbers going to come up. As, as my grandmother, we, we're from the neighborhood. <laughs> so, Absolutely. <laughs> Future, hitting the exactly, number. hitting the number. It's the same thing that these guys are doing. They want to hit the number. So they want any piece of evidence. So they're these guys that have kind of similar, I guess, similar educations and interests to my own who say, oh, I'm going to use the fact that I know something about digital or that I can explain what blockchain is or or uh, that I understand uh, uh, I was right about something once, I'm going to use that to sell the future to businessmen. And the future that I'm going to sell if I want a good long-term business is a future in which business people rely on futurists <laughs> to get anything done, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like early Wired Magazine. The future is coming. It's a big tsunami. It's going to wipe you over unless you hire the futurists and consultants on our pages who can guide you and navigate a path through the new digital realm. Um, I was never that. That's, that's, at best, that's propaganda. 
you know, it's, it's future as propaganda. What I am is a, is a presentist. And it's just that the things I happen to be interested in at a particular moment are, I'm interested in them maybe a little bit earlier than other people. So in the late 80s, I'm going, oh, this email thing is kind of cool. I think we might all be using email someday. Now, that's not futurism. It's just saying, oh, man, the kids in San Francisco are all using email. And once they start, they really don't stop. So I go to New York to an editor and say, I want to do a book on, you know, uh, this digital stuff. I think people are going to start owning laptops and doing digital. And they would laugh me out of the, you know, the editorial offices. I wrote this book called Siberia about the coming cyber culture. And my, my publishing company canceled it. In 1992, because they thought the net would be over by 1993 when the book was supposed to Absolutely. come out. Now, that's not futurism. That's presentism. And we were on the net already. The net was already happening. It's just it was so threatening to the way the, the powers that be that they kind of put their head in the sand. But if, if all it takes to be a futurist is not to put your head in the sand, <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's lack of Absolutely. denial. You know, so that's all I was doing. But um, yeah, but I never liked being called a futurist because I didn't want to be in the camp with all those dudes with the websites that say like, you know, keynote speaker, futurist, trend watcher, consultant. Yeah. Like, uh, that's okay. And it's, and it's also like a look, right? Like so many of, of my things as, as someone who focuses on culture, right, is identifying the way in which certain people are listened to and other people aren't listened to, right? And so when I look out that landscape of the future, because I'm often, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these spaces, I'm thinking about these ideas, and, you know, everyone looks the same, right? It's like they all went to, like, the cyberpunk, steampunk school of dress. You know, I guess there's, like, a in the same way, like, I go to H&M, I think there's just a way for people to go and buy, like, you know, multicolored eyeglasses and like mustache twirlers and just all of this stuff right right that that fits this image you know it's it's the way in which i think a very corrosive and an awful person like jordan peterson my own editorial can like be successful right because he fits this archetype of someone who knows something even though he's a fucking idiot and and people fall into that right well, so it was weird though in the late 80s and early 90s when this futurism business started I think a lot of them wore weird stuff or got extra tattoos like up to their neck or whatever as a way of proving that they don't have jobs in the company, right? They're coming from outside. Look at me. I'm free. I'm freer of body. I'm freer of clothing and freer of thought than you can be. So you need to bring me in so I can infect your company with that free thought, you know, but don't, you, we'd never hire that person full time. They would be, yeah. you know, the, the commando. Absolutely. You know, so it, it, it made me think about also trade-offs, right? Because this is another thing you highlight very early on in the book, right? That we are, li we are living and existing in a market economy, right? That is whatever you want to call it, late stage capitalism, extraction capitalism. It is a model that is operating, mm -hmm. right? But then I think you, you very honestly think about how do we live and exist in a world in the present that is different from that, right? So how do you, in, in your work, balance those, those trade-offs, right? Because I think that's a, a, a very interesting way to get into the book because you're in this room in an anecdote that you share with these, you know, a few of these tech billionaires as they're trying to figure out 
how do we survive the unwashed masses, <laughs> right? Like, how do we navigate this? So how does one in your world that it is so present, that is so thoughtful, navigate those realities? That's interesting. Um, what these guys are doing, you know, the, the defense mechanism that they're using, and this is all kinds of folks, business people, tech people, anyone who's avoiding the human reality, is they try to kind of go meta on what there is. You know, the old ways of going meta was like financialization. So there's real people in a real economy trying to deal with stuff. And then there's like banks and futures and investors who go meta on our world. And they can make our food expensive by betting on it. They can make our homes expensive by turning them into investments or into mortgages or into mortgage-backed securities or into credit default swaps. So there are these sort of tail wagging the dog meta thing. So that's a finance is an easy one. Digital is another one. You create a digital environment. Is your business listed on Google Maps? Well, if it's not, then that meta world is going to affect your real business because that's the GPS that people are using to find a restaurant closest to me. Oh, shoot, you know, it's gone. So there's all these, there's all these, uh, what it's funny, the guy uh, Korzybski, a great theorist from the, the 30s and 40s, uh, Alfred Korzybski, who invented uh, uh, general semantics, he uh, used to say the map is not the territory. And if you can write a map and convince people that your map is the territory, you're going to make a lot of money, right? Because you're controlling their activity now because they've got, oh, that map, that's what things are. And uh, that's, that's kind of what all these folks are doing. And it's the, it's the, I mean, it's funny because it also is the book. It's the, it's the escape, you know, the way they escape from our reality is going meta on it. Even forget, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, as Facebook finally reaches its peak and starts to fail, what does he do? I'm going to start a company called Meta. Literally, I'm going to go meta on the whole thing. One level up, web two, web three, web four, you know, it's just another, another, uh, another way, another one up. And these folks, the wealthy ones that we're talking about are, are, are attempting to live on that other plane. What I'm arguing and what they're finally seeing is that, oh no, eventually reality comes and bites you on the ass. You know, there are the enslaved people that, that, that come marching to the gates. You know, there, there, there's too many unwashed masses. So you can try to you know, make video games for them or get them addicted to Netflix. But in the end, um, they're going to burn up or get flooded or get mad or get sick. And it turns out their viruses go to you too. You know, yeah. there's no way out. As, as much as you try, right? And I, I love this idea of talking about the maps, right? Because before we started recording, we were talking about maps, right? New York City subway map and, and how we navigate those things. And, you know, that's a quote that I that I use quite often in presentations and, you know, the same kind of work. And the the argument I make is that maps can tell you how to get from point A to point B, but they cannot tell you the richness of what's happening on the ground, right? If you're, if you're talking about, you know, in our example, the Lower East Side and trying to figure out one, one thing to the other, it doesn't tell you like what's happening in those streets, what's happening on in those neighborhoods, the vibrancy that's, that's missing. And it sounds like this escape from reality that is happening on a on a level with these tech billionaires and others is they don't want to deal with reality. But how do you build any sort of organization that is not based on reality? It's 
tricky. It's funny, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about back in my era, kids, boys would look at like Playboy magazine, right? And Playboy, they were, I thought that's what a woman looked like, right? Then you actually see a woman and they're not airbrushed in real life, right? They've got skin and pores and things are wet and there's hairs and <laughs> it's like a whole thing. And I yeah, feel like there's a real thing, these right? guys, these kind of tech bro dudes are looking for, they're like the ultimate nerds who are looking for a dry, safe, unreal, undirty, uncomplicated, auto-tuned reality. But it's missing the flavor. It's missing the, the, the flavor is what you want, not what you run from. That's if you, but it's gotta, you gotta flip your whole orientation. It's so, it's so hard for them. And that's, you know, the example I always use for these folks is um, the auto-tune music. It's like, if you took auto-tuning to James Brown, you're not gonna hear him reaching up for the note or coming down in over the note. To the tech bros, the, the reaching up for the note, that's noise, right? It's not, it's off the signal. It's off the quantized signal. You know, so digital is like the ultimate example of this clean lack of culture, lack of what's happening on the street, the, the complexities. And it's funny. I mean, I listened to record albums when I was a kid. And mm -hmm. for me, record albums seem real, you know, because there was hiss and clicks and you, it was an object and you put it on and you loved it. But I'm sure to the generation before me, they're like, these kids aren't listening to music. They're putting on freaking pieces of plastic and scratching it with a needle. If you're not in the yeah, street, the ballroom. in the ballroom, in the street, in with the people listening to the drums coming from here and the guitar from there and the, and the kids dancing and the bottles breaking, whatever, you're not there. You know, so we were once removed. Digital is now once removed from analog recordings, you know, and, and so on and so on. But, but the, the journey seems to be away from whatever it is that society considers noise or extra or uh, surplus or uncomfortable, you know, and that's the thing. You could say it's extra, but usually it's, it's not extra. It's female, it's wet, it's natural, it's dark skin. It's all the stuff yeah. people don't want to see. All the things, right? And it, it makes me think about, like when you're talking about noise, like I've, I talk about like friction. Mm right? Like so much of things that are new are marketed as like, it's going to be a frictionless experience, right? You can book your thing, you can click the button, you can do this, whatever it is. And it's amounting to making it, you know, there, there are other words, right? Seamless, you know, it's, it's all of this stuff. And seamless to what? To the point of sale. Yes. So it's like, oh, you could have sex with no friction. You just come. It's like, okay, yeah. just come. It's like, what is that? That's the worst. Right. And that's and that's what businesses aren't realizing is, and I know we, 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 we people talk about it, use these words about it, but the journey is the thing. You know, uh, you know, Nike even realized this for a while when they build Nike Town in Manhattan. They're like, oh, it's the experience of it. So when I think about the experience, my consumer experiences, if we even want to call it that, there's a kid in high school and he's got William Burroughs, Naked March. And I'm like, man, what's that? I mean, we're getting high and all that. What's that? What's that? I'm reading. It's like, this is crazy. And he goes, oh, you got to go to St. Mark's books. It's on St. Mark's and this. And, and you go in there and you tell the guy, there's, you want to see the shelf with William Burroughs. Because it's like, because there's the word, books that had the word fucking it and stuff. So they're hidden. You know, it was that. 
You yeah. go to that they show. Back, back in the back, yeah, behind the curtain. Exactly. <laughs> so with William Burroughs was back there, not with porn so much as, as you know, yeah. off-color. Uh, but anything sort of pulp right. fiction-y racy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I went to that shelf, right? So I go to, I get the train. I go into the city. Go to St. Mark's Book. I go to the guy. I use the code, William Burroughs, please. He goes, okay, young man. And he takes me to this shelf. And then next to William Burroughs is this guy, Bukowski, Charles Bukowski, this crazy kind of beat poet. Yeah. He wrote really weird stuff. He wrote a poem. He wrote this short story about a witch that shrinks a man down to the size of a Barbie doll. And then she uses him as a dildo. I mean, crazy stuff, right? <laughs> this is just off. I mean, off for a 15-year-old kid to read that. It, it, obviously, it affected me. But the journey to get there was the thing. I remember the journey to get my first Bukowski book more than I remember the book itself. And the journey was the thing. If we cut the journey out of it to make it seamless, so that the minute that my friend says, you know, William Burroughs, I then speak to my, you know, digital voice, Google, whatever listening box and say, please send, you know, William Burroughs book to me. It'll arrive tomorrow. It's less impactful. And I, I was having a conversation with a, a good friend because we recently saw a, a, a band um, on just this past Sunday as we're recording this. And um, we talked about the way in which the records that you talked about, right? Because I ha also experienced records and CDs. And so, so there's always like a step removed, but there's not as much of an opportunity to interact with the music, right? I remember getting like, Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, and reading every liner note, like reading everything the band wrote about that record. And it, and it really radicalized my politics. It, it changed the way I thought about it beyond me thinking about any particular song. It was just hearing Chuck D talk about Asada Shakur and Malcolm X. And, you know, for a 14-year-old, that was my Bukowski, right? And now... I listen to a lot of music, but it's through, again, streaming services. And so I don't get the notes. I don't know the studios where it was produced. I don't know it's all the things because it doesn't give you that. There's no context. Yes. It's a data point. It's a data point. So yeah. it, ends up, it ends up decontextualized, which is a great way of robbing culture from people, as, as you as a black man should know. I mean, now we can appropriate without even, it's like pure, just, just extract, just extract it. You know, it's like nothing. It's just so pure. Uh, it's just pure IP. Uh, it just take. Uh, but the other thing about frictionless, I was thinking, is if you make everything totally frictionless, the only thing that's left is death. Right? Yeah. So, oh, that, it's the last frontier. Exactly. It's, it's just frictionless. Well, then there's no, uh, to boom. You know, and that's why in frictionless culture of the tech bro insane guys, they're all apocalyptic. They're all listening to Steve Bannon and the, the great acceleration and the great awakening and the great reset. It's like the only way it can go is toward the end. And, and you know, I want to keep on that, right? Because what I, what I jotted down is why is there such a focus and a preoccupation with the threat? Right. Because even even death is considered a threat. I mean, there's also parallels to anti-aging and these the sort of eternal life. Right. If we just get smarter and upload more things and take the right drugs and figure out the right formula, we can extend our life. Right. Like all of these things are so dark among those who have the most. Right. Like how do we balance that or, or even consider 
that. Right. Like I'm not preoccupied with the end of the world in the way in which these folks are. And if I had the resources, I definitely would be trying to do something about it, not go to Mars. Right. So so how do we think about that? Well, the guys who have the most, a lot of them have the most because they were afraid to begin with. You know, it's a form of uh, a kind of economic obesity that they keep taking on more as if to shield themselves from the great existential fears that that propelled them in the first place. I mean, usually most of them, it seems to be more fear of women, fear of nature, fear of, of the unknown. So they accumulate. And then, as you see, Amazon and Apple, they build fortresses around this. These are fortresses with like gardens in the middle. So they're old feudal style <laughs> forts because they are the, all of the accumulation is because they're afraid of contact with the others. And what they don't get, I mean, I'm lucky. I got it. I got the experience as a kid when we moved from truly middle class or, or working class queens where there was one barbecue at the end of the block and everyone brought stuff to the barbecue and other people the neighbors would bar. My mom would send me down with a couple of Hebrew nationals, and the neighbors would grill them for us. That was the barbecue. When we got wealthy, my dad got better jobs. He moved to Larchmont in Westchester. Everybody's got their own barbecue, and now barbecue is this like lonely, almost competitive. Like we we're barbecuing Hebrew nationals, but they're barbecuing steak. Oh no! So we got to get porterhouse. Oh no! They're doing filet mignon. Could we afford Kobe? <laughs> it's like oh fuck. <laughs> So yeah. what happened? You the, know? Arm, the arms race of meat. <laughs> the arms race of meat, exactly. I mean, now it would be like impossible burgers, I guess. You, you, you do social signaling with it, right? You'd have to do feminist, feminist impossible burgers and prove you're cool. Ugh. But, but the, the, for me, the accumulation of wealth was always associated with somehow extricating yourself from the common, even the word common, it's so funny, common's like a bad word, right? Oh, it's so common. Common. You had the commons. You had yep. a, a shared experience, and that we we somehow got the idea that if you're living in a bad neighborhood, then the object of the game is to make enough money so you can get out of the bad neighborhood, rather than make your neighborhood a place you want to live. You know, <laughs> it just shouldn't be. It should be less difficult. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it it doesn't seem to be. Right. And as I as I went through the book. You know, I try to use very plain language, right? And so words like insanity, you know, like stupidity kind of come to my mind. And it's not because I think individual people are those things, right? Like these are, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of serious things. No, but, these people in the book, they're smarter than us. I mean, in terms well, of actual- I don't, I don't know about well, that. in certain ways. I mean, <laughs> well, who knows? Like, is Elon Musk smarter than us or not? I don't know, but yeah. he could do something. You know, Jeff Bezos, they're, they're better somehow. <laughs> this is this might be addendum, right? But the, even the whole idea of like intelligence, who's smart, who's not, I push back against yeah. those things, right? Like I just, Prince to me is one of the most genius yeah. people I've ever seen, Yeah, right? Because he can he can play anything, do anything, go in a million different directions. So I don't know, but right? Like, how I does think that, that's generally accepted, right? Yeah, how that does that balance... But people wouldn't like if they're ranking like the great minds of the 20th century, we all know what those minds are going to be. Right. Right. They're going to talk about like Steve Jobs and Einstein. So we're always linking somehow intelligence to the so-called hard sciences. 
right. rather than the humanities and creation and music and culture and those things. So right. that's an addendum. Or the poor right? thing. You know, what about the woman who is, you know, picking grapes in South Italy somewhere and is the has figured out how to knit the fabric of her local community together and she's the sort of the linchpin for social interactions. Absolutely. And she's raised thirty children, you know, by being their neighbor. There's the How genius. do we measure those things? Yeah. Right. So, so I'm always sort of like thinking about when people are like, oh, they're, well, they're kind of smart. I'm like, are they? <laughs> right. But right. like, what measure and, and why, who's to say? Right. Because when I look at, when I'm reading your book and I'm, and I'm looking out into the world, right. I feel like you can't possibly be right. Because like Jay Z has this lyric in, in one of his songs, you know, why I love you is talking about like the same people you hired to like blast for you are now blasting at you, right? And I feel like they're building all of this stuff. And eventually, like you said, it's going to bite you in the ass. And with all the thousands and thousands of examples that we have throughout history, how are you missing this? It is odd. It is odd. You know, and that's, you know, that's what set me wanting to write the book in the first place. Here's the five, you know, the five richest men I had ever met, the five most powerful room I had ever been in. And these are dudes actually talking about, you know, asking me for strategies on, on their bunkers, you know, their, their doomsday bunkers. And first, it's really, you don't call a, a, a Marxist, anarcho-syndicalist media theorist for bunker strategies, right? It's like, that's not my qualification. There's like Navy <laughs> SEALs that know this stuff, right? So I'm really going to... You know, I, I don't know. I felt like in some ways they were doing it almost to impress me or something or to play some weird kind of Westworld science fiction game, not not for practical advice. But what I was left with was how are these guys with so much money and so much power? These are the most powerless feeling people I've ever seen. They're more desperate about this than anybody. And partly it's because they're futurists. They don't have a moment. They have no moment to live in. All they've got is, oh no, 50 years from now, there'll be this. So they're not here. You know, and if they were invested in the moment, they might actually do the kinds of things that could prevent the apocalypse rather than just, you know, prepare for it. And I think that gives us a chance to talk about like aggrievement, right? And resentment, which it seems like, again, those who have the most also suffer from this idea that they're the most aggrieved. Mm. And we see it in the spaces that you've described here, (laughs) but then we see it in our political and social landscape, right? So like, how can we address this? Because I just feel like I'm, I'm, like I said, every time I read your book and I feel like this is a template that we've been in this story, you know, Steve Bannon is not a new person, right? Historically, he's just not a new person. Nothing he's saying is a new idea. I could go to 1922, read those same ideas. I can go to 1822 and read those same ideas. The words might be different. The phrasing might be different, but it's the same ideology, right? So how do, why are we, we as people, not you and I, dealing with these people as if they're new and how do, how do we get through their aggrievement to kind of call them on the bullshit? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of convincing them of their, their insanity or helping them see the source of their need for a climactic end to everything. Um, but rather 
um, developing compelling alternatives for those who are likely to fall into their sway. And so what, what's an alternative? It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. You're scared of all these things. So if I can help people find a sense of safety and security in their neighbors, in their communities, um, then they will be less tempted or called to bring on the end, to do that, to, to storm the gates. On the other hand, I understand why people want to storm the gates. You know, the, the, the QAnon fantasy, you know, of all the Democrats and Jews and bankers, you know, and neoliberals are, uh, have a, a pederast, you know, sex slave of children ring. I understand it metaphorically, you know, because here we are with people like Hillary and other neoliberals basically saying they're going to parent us properly, but they're fucking us in the ass. Right. So when that's happening, it's it's akin to the child molestation fantasy. You know what I mean? It is. I get metaphorically everything Rush Limbaugh, everything Steve Bannon, everything uh, 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 Alex Jones, everything they say is true on a, on a metaphorical level, on a felt level as children looking at media going, wait a minute. Why are they telling me the story? Why are they doing that? Uh, and I could see why people would then go, OK. This is, you know, if you take if you take those metaphors literally, those dreams literally, then you're going to want to, you know, get guns and shoot at people. If you take it metaphorically instead and go, oh, I get it. It feels as if we are children. It feels as if they're sucking the life out of us. It feels as if the banking class has an operating system that extracts value from everything we do without giving us anything back. Then, well, then what? You know, and that's different. Then, okay, let's turn to each other. Let's do local cooperatives. Let's do mutual aid. Let's you know take care of our the people in our communities. Let's get ninety percent of our stuff locally rather than internationally. And we will you know deflate the international um, you know slave labor ring. And and that's where like I don't want to let these folks off the hook, right? Because I think you make like some really incredible points. Like QAnon is nonsense right but so was the protocols of zion right right it's like the same that thing. was it's the same story nonsense yeah. yeah same story right it's it's nonsense right and it was nonsense when that was making the the rounds right when they were like little like newsletters and pamphlets and then people were like you know what we should do a pogrom right like yeah. you know it's this these things just keep happening right and so i think to your point there's always been folks in that present that have created alternatives, right? So even when you have strict constitutionalists, like we can't go against Thomas Jefferson, he did this. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? There were other people at that same time who said owning human beings was bad, right? Right. So why am I listening to the fucks who were like, you know, it's bad, but fuck it. We're going to keep doing this shit. To whatever extent they even thought it was bad. Right. And at the same time now, Again, being in the present, we have people providing alternatives, right? Like it's not QAnon is not the only story or the this sort of desire to go back to this infant. To me, the, the part that's childlike is going back to these stories, right? Like make America great again is a, is a childish notion. People who are like strict constitutionalists are children, right? They're telling me that the ideas of 30 to 35 year old white dudes in 1776 and 1789 
are more important than my modern day realities. That's children's stories. Right. Well, what they're losing is, is their understanding of continuity and fidelity is a little off. You know, if you want to have fidelity, true fidelity to the Constitution, then you have to, you have to engage mindfully in the process of revision. Right? The Constitution is the, what made it special. This is a document that says it is each generation's responsibility to amend and adapt this Constitution towards greater human health and happiness. You know, that, that's, that is the job. You know, you're not allowed to stop. You're not allowed to say the document is done. That's the whole point. That was the, the, the juice point with Torah, that Torah is an evolving document. And it's true. Every generation that reads Torah gets something else out of it, which is part of the point. Mm-hmm. They made the letters look like flame, as if to say, this is malleable. This is uh, uh, strange. You know, the, the original rabbis were all pissed off that they even wrote it down. The Torah was supposed to be oral. So that yeah, it could yeah oral history yeah so it would be so it could it be more uh, uh, more alive than locked down as a book so same as constitution that's fine write it down but write it down with the with the provision that we are responsible for updating it not its core principles but adapting its core principles to new cultural moments and if you can't do that then it's dead you know and there's nothing to go back to make America great again when are you talking about Either you're talking about the greatness of FDR and the GI Bill that you disagree with, or are you talking about the greatness of lynchings and segregation? <laughs> Is that the greatness? Yeah. What what moment are you looking at? And what about yeah, you it? Gotta are you got to find that line. Yeah. You know, and that's you gotta find that line. That's a digital thing too. You know, so much about digital is based on memory. You know, digital, it is memory, it's RAM. Everything in digital is is, is memory. And, and and Marshall McLuhan said that in a digital age, Memory is going to become the big thing because because computers remember everything. And so we're going to get really obsessed with memory, but but it's turned out to be kind of false memory. Our false memories mm-hmm. of the past, and that's yeah. it. nostalgia. That's, yeah, it's kind of nostalgia as a trap, you know. Yeah. But I want to I want to talk about the mindset, ah. right? Like this is this is something that you highlight that again I just I just loved because it was it's a I, I think a very thoughtful way of putting a a philosophy or a kind of social understanding of what's happening in these billionaire, not saying just tech, but largely tech spaces. So walk us through how you arrived at understanding and explaining this mindset, the mindset in quotes and big capital letters. Yeah, well, I was trying to figure out what it was about these dudes that could lead them you know, the wealthiest men in the world to spend at least 20% of their cash, is what they said, bunkers and, and, and rockets, <laughs> ways, of getting, ways of getting away. Where did this come from? And so what I, I, I decided to call this thing the mindset. And the mindset is basically this kind of insulation equation, right? How much, how much money and technology do I need to insulate myself from the reality I'm creating by earning money and building technology in this way, you know, and <laughs> it's this never-ending loop. This sort of uh, how do I externalize the damage of what I'm doing by doing more and more of it? Um, so it, it's kind of based in these. And, and then I was like, so there's this sort of Silicon Valley mindset that really 
holds that with enough money and enough technology, I can save myself from the effects of what I'm doing. You know, that yes, I could destroy the world, but I can also survive it. You know? <laughs> and, also, and there's no way and there's no way back. So I tried to look at what are the sort of the planks, what 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 got them into this? And 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 then you know, so I break up the book really into the different beliefs of the mindset. So one of them is sort of this atheistic scientism, that there's no soul, there's nothing going on here, it's all just selfish genes that kind of Richard Dawkins, you know, Daniel Dennett all the edge guys and the scientists that I interacted with who considered me a crazy spiritual moralist new ager, just because I'm saying, isn't there something animating this? Isn't it possible that there's a consciousness of some kind that we're connected on levels of anything? Now you're crazy. They, they called me moralist and then not to give away too many punchlines, but the same guys that called me moralist, they're the guys that were on friggin' Jeffrey Epstein's plane going to yeah. the, you know, the funny, <laughs> funny how those things tend to overlap. Right, but, but they do, they dovetail, right? So the mindset, Jeffrey Epstein ends up doing really well with technologists and scientists who hold the mindset because mindset technologists are going to say nothing going on here. It's all just selfish genes. So you get a guy like Epstein. It's like, oh, it's all just selfish genes. Good. I want to spread my genes into as many 14 year old virgins as possible and build my own little, you know, uh, uh, eugenic master race. So you get that. You get um, uh, the mindset is, uh, is techno solutionist, that they really believe even the good ones think the way we're going to fix the world is with a new stack. I've got a computer program. I can fit it all on a USB stick, take it to any, you know, piece of land anywhere on the world, plug it in, and it's going to build magically an eco village with a government and self-sovereignty and IP laws and everything else. Currency and all the rest. It's all right? in there. It's a technology will solve everything. You know, so there's this, this real adherence to the, to the biases of, of digital code. There's generally a fear of women and nature because that's sort of where it came from out of the, the, the kind of the, the empirical science of, Francis Bacon in the late Middle Ages, and they're scared of women, which is nature. It's like, oh, we're going to quantify and quantize everything. And, yeah. No, no. I, you know, because I want to talk about the nature aspect of this. And I, and I want to, and I think you'd naturally kind of get to the fear of, of, of women, you know, as one of these driving organizing ideas, right? Any, any woman that is outspoken, like you said, is a witch burn them, right? Like these ideas of hysterics and just, there's just so much that is baked into the Western world's way of interacting with and about women that is, you know, terrible. Well, and also blacks and indigenous people. Oh yeah, of course. You know, like we're I mean, all, it was, you're all, you're we're all, all in there. Yeah. But, but it was even, <laughs> you know, and I'm reading Hobbes, you know, Hobbes who people like is a, Hobbes was the guy who was saying, look, you don't have to worry about the Native Americans. They're part of nature. They're like part. So you can clear cut them the same way you would clear cut a forest because they're not like conscious Westerners. They're just like deer, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh man. Yeah, it's so terrible stuff. It really is. And it, it, I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble, but this mindset exists even today. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's people, well in place yes, today. It is. People look at black people. They look at indigenous people as them, as the same way, you know, we, we understand how men look at women as objects, like there's kind of vegetables to have sex with or something. There's large groups of people that still regard uh, black people and indigenous people as 
fundamentally other and ultimately more like uh, uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like you're there to either. Well, I'll I'll make one differentiation in that I think indigenous are so because I see this in in all spaces, meaning not even talking about conservative spaces, but in so-called progressive spaces or like you know these sort of like existential spaces. Indigenous are like mythological, right? right? Like people, they don't even they're not even considered present right they exist only in the past which is dehumanizing also dehumanizing as fuck like at least black people are here right right? like they recognize that we are around and alive in this space right even if it's even if it's framed as a problem yeah it's framed as a problem but they're here but they're (laughs) but they're aware that we're here right indigenous are largely like remember indigenous and i'm like remember them like right they're alive they're around right Right. So, <laughs> right. and, and living and vibrant right. right like they are very much in their own present in the same way we all are right so I, I think that gets us into like that idea of like friction right like who are you not only what processes are you removing but who are you removing yeah to get to these features? right but then what's happened and i think this is why some people in America are finally waking up, sometimes in bad ways, is capitalism and the mindset has extended so far that now it's treating regular white people as they used to just treat others. So white Americans, white middle-class Americans are now also grist for the mill. They don't have that special place. Well, at least you're not black, right? Which is the way they kept white people happy as poor. Now, no, no, you may as well be. You're, <laughs> you're just Chris. You're just stuff. And once you see, you know, the Bezos uh, uh, and the Elons looking at everyone as part of that mass of humanity from which they must escape before it all dies, before they all get monkeypox or whatever it is that that's coming the, next. The new thing, right? right? You realize, oh man. You know, and the, the the other thing I mean, we should we should at least briefly hit on it in terms of the mindset is with the mindset, everything is IP, everything is it's it's an owned idea. Everything has to be new. You can't retrieve anything. You can't retrieve even indigenous wisdom or permaculture or anything from the past. No, it's got to be new. If you're going to go to the rainforest and do some psychedelic and have a great experience, you come back. We're going to have to find an analog to that psychedelic that we can patent yeah. and make a zillion dollars and keep the real one as illegal as possible. So people can't just do it for free, you know, and that's, that's, that's the thing. And that's, that goes towards it really, you could, uh, uh, you could easily chalk all of this up to capitalism. It's about acquisition, ownership, growth, everything is progress and straight lines and self-sovereignty and sovereignty over a, even that term self-sovereignty that a lot of these tech pros talk about, what does that even mean? I'm king of myself. Like, yeah. It's like you can do whatever you want. It's an extraction model that removes responsibility, right? And and that's where I wanted to ask you is it seems like we we again, this kind of collective we know so little about the world that we inhabit. And the less we know, it seems it's more easy to prescribe to these sort of fantasies that are in the book, right? Yeah. So I, I I think about 
this idea of space travel. And, you know, grew up, growing up in the 70s and 80s, the space shuttle, all of that was just so much a part of the cultural imaginings of the world, just in a technical way. But then you also had like Star Trek and Star Wars and all this stuff that kind of promised something different. So that's just a little bit of backdrop. But as I've learned as a city kid, more about how the world works, meaning how you grow things, how you produce things, how you keep the soil healthy. I realized that most of us, myself included, don't know shit about how like truly complex and beautiful our world is to be able to make like a tomato, you know, or grow a carrot or have clean water. So I'm being kind of silly, but I say that to say that if someone started to get a sense of just how much we don't know about our world, I think the idea of colonizing and moving to other worlds becomes even more fucking insane. Or uploading your consciousness to a chip when we don't even know what consciousness is. Good luck with that. So how, how do we wrestle with this inability to admit that so much of what we experience is still a mystery while saying we know what this future is going to be, right? Because I fully admit I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't either. No one really does. That's the thing. It's like if you if you we don't even know what's going on in a cubic centimeter of soil. It's beyond all of our science. The soil matrix, what's alive, what's not? Is it an organism? Is it that soil? It turns out soil is not just dirt. It's this living thing. And every yeah. time we turn it over with our backhoes and stuff, we're killing this shit you know we're, we're destroying the the what stuff grew on you know and then we go to monsanto to get more crap to pour on it to create fake vegetables you know whatever they are this this, this stuff i'm not you know anti-genomics or whatever go play but but just understand that you know they're, 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 we're chasing something but again yeah. we might not be able to outrun the devastation of the biosphere <laughs> in which we live so yeah and that's and that's the thing and then when you accept the mystery, rather than being scared, whether the mystery is a woman, whether it's a brown person, whether it's a piece of nature, when you accept the mystery, you go, instead of into a state of fear, you go into a state of awe. You go, wow, look at that person, looks so different from me, but they're also human, and they came from a whole different line of people. Out of Look at this, this is a woman. What, what is that? You know, this is nature, this is a squirrel, this is a cliff. And when you go into a state of awe, what we now know is people who've just experienced a state of awe, they're more generous, they're more open to new ideas, their immune system is better. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, you mean if you go into a state of awe, you're going to be able to resist COVID better? Yes. If you would go, if you would have a daily shot of awe, you will, you will perform. If that's your thing, oh, if you're for the Western world, you'll perform better. Your productivity will increase. It's like the only, the only way I can convince people to do anything is like, oh, you'll have better utility value. But in whatever works, right? But, but how do we, like, one of the things that I'm, um, and this is going to be an imperfect question, right? Uh-oh. To the ex- yeah. Imperfect? Oh, my God. I've never heard an imperfect question from you. They've all been to, perfect. Nah. Oh, yeah. To the extent that I'm going to get there. But okay. <laughs> this, okay, I'm going to try to get to this through an analogy, okay. right? We, we talked a little bit about January 6th, kind of came up, storming the Capitol, this whole thing, right? To whatever extent, that's a new thing I'll put on the shelf. And I think about how, you know, there have been 
you know, women have have faced incredible challenges in our society. So I'm just going to talk about an American con- concept right now. You know, clearly indigenous have been at literal war with the United States government. Black people have have faced incredible challenges from enslavement to um, liberation and liberation taking another hundred years um, from the end of the Civil War. And we're still kind of in some flux of that, right? Depending on the voting rights of your state. So I say all that to say that, you know, we're not storming the Capitol, right? I, I mean, I went to the Million Man March in whenever that was, and it was put together by Farrakhan and a million Black people came. And I know Farrakhan's a name we can't mention in popular mm. culture, but, you know, he's a real human, right? Flaws and terrible ideas and, and all, but at that moment in time, he put together the Million Man March, yeah. right? And, you know, a million, you know, Black men descended on DC and didn't storm shit, right? Didn't burn shit down. And this is in the 90s. This is post Rodney King. This is post all of that shit, right? So why is it that like so much time is being spent on, again, that aggrievement, right? Those who have the most feel most aggrieved and those who have been dealing with this shit for 400 years are kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to burn down the Capitol. I'm just going to come and pass a dollar through the crowd and, and have some brotherhood and then just go to fuck home. Right. And that was the end of it. Right. So how do we like, you know, when the settler colonists came to the to the so-called new world, you know, the the indigenous and native people, they were kind of like, yo, we never seen you either. And they didn't kill those motherfuckers. Right. right? Like they they, so I'm like, why is like the awe running in one direction and not running in the other? Right. Like, why am I trying to figure out? this this aggrievement and then there's others who have more of a list of aggrievement and they're not doing the same thing well right i know there's a lot jumbled in that well, but i say, wanted to throw it out are, there why are <laughs> why are white filmmakers making terminator and black filmmakers making black Panther? yeah terminator is the fear how do you back to thomas jefferson you were saying you know that the dumb waiter well yeah but when he described slavery he said it's like having a wolf by the ears, right? And what he meant was, it's like, yeah, I'd like to let go, but then it's going to bite me <laughs> on the neck. So there's so much repressed guilt and memory. You know, you walk around America, certainly the East Coast of America, and it's like, oh, this was built by people whose names we will not mention, right? We're walking on the graves of the enslaved people who made this, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's a really hard piece of karma to confront. So it's way easier when you see a hint of retribution to go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, 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 now, pick it on me, pick it on me. You know, it's like, no, my, my, my family wasn't here. They were Jews getting beaten up in the, by the Cossacks and, and, and whatever, and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I understand. I come here since 1970. I could kind of pass for white. You know, they actually let us into the restaurants that we couldn't get into when I was a kid. The restricted country clubs will gladly take my money now. Um, so, yay. I mean, I'm in an in-between place. But at the same time, I'm I'm benefiting from the society that did this awful stuff. So it's really scary to think that we're going to have to we're going to have to pay the comeuppance. You know, so any hint of it leads to this instant defense and paranoia. And, you know, we need a way to do truth and reconciliation here. 
You know, we, we, yeah, it's not about being angry at anybody who's alive today. It's a matter of this. We all got to get on. I hate to say we all have to get on the same page, you know, because that'll never happen either. But uh, there's but we a, need something. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I don't know what that something is either. But I think when I wrestle with your work and think about your work, and I want to do this one last question before we get to the final two segments of the of the show. I keep thinking about how do we keep bringing in other perspectives, right? Because I think that that kind of speaks to your getting on the page and thinking about the future to any extent that we are. Because I, I, if I look at like abolitionist movements, not historical, but current abolitionist movements, for example, is where I find a lot of my inspiration from because I feel like they're asking really hard questions to whatever degree someone agrees with it or not, right? But they're asking, hey, in a in a public service way, what if we didn't have particular options to go down in which to solve our problems, right? What if your first thought to every challenge was in law enforcement, right? Or guns or this or that, right? So not debating all of those things, but just saying, posing the question starts me thinking about a different present. And then that gets me to that future we talked about, right? So how do we bring in other voices to these conversations, not just about these tech billionaires, but just in general, that can offer us alternatives that don't look like their fantasies, that get us into the more collective benefit that you've talked about and others have talked about for years. I now. mean, I think the easy path is not to worry about scale. Now, the dudes who are telling us these awful stories are obsessed with scale. They've got to grow exponentially to make all this money and have big platforms and get multi-billion person audiences and all that. If the alternative may not be something that we do on YouTube and podcasts and, and these media, but may be off the map and back in the real world in our in our local communities. And we will never get that crazy super credit that we want, that we look, that we long for in an age of social media, but you'll get a community. You'll get the actual fabric of, of life. So, I mean, for me, it's funny, if I do another book ever, it's gonna be some kind of a manifesto on localism and it will actually have to be a mic drop where I go, I've been on the public stage, I've used media, I've made TV shows, I have had columns printed hundreds of thousands of times maybe. The where it, that's not, that's not where it happens. You know, that's not where it happens. Where it happens is between me and this other person in my town who, you know, it's the, the, the kid next door has got uh, all sorts of, uh, uh, is disabled in all these ways. And we gotta take care of him. We gotta, you know, it's not just up to his parents to take care of this kid. It's up to all of us. And there's these other people who don't read. There's this guy who's who's living on a bench in the in the memorial park in my town. His feet, there's something really wrong with his feet. I can see him picking at him. It's horrible. Who's take? Doesn't matter. That's where it is. That's where it happens. And and it, it's gotta feel. That's it. Really is enough. It really is enough for 99 percent of us. And then 1% of us, right? So 1% of us is what in America? Uh, uh, 2 million people? 2 million people can worry about the scaled activity, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, put two, <laughs> we'll put 2 million on that. And then, and then the others, we could, just, we could just take care of each other. Absolutely, man. I'm all, all about taking care of each other, you know? 
I'm going to get us to off the dome. I know you have two off the dome questions and then we're going to do the drop. All right. The first one is um, I'm going to give three names. They're, they're names that we all know. Bezos, Teal, Musk, right? Marry, fuck, marry, fuck, kill. Is it? No, no I would. <laughs> no, I, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to put us in, in that position. But of, of these three, like, <laughs> I won't, I don't, I'm not going to advocate killing anybody because, right. you know, I'm, I'm a yeah. pacifist. Yeah. But who who should we really be like concerned about? <laughs> like in terms of their ideology and their and their scale. Like, you know. Uh, I mean, the thing to be concerned about is whichever one you feel most likely to want to emulate. You know, and that's so then that's like them they as people can do some damage, I suppose, to us, but the, the greater damage is the is what they're modeling for us. Mm-hmm. So right now, I mean, Elon Musk, you know, he puts on Twitter, you know, that, that he hasn't had sex in a while. And a whole bunch of guys are offering just to blow him right on Twitter. You know, it's like because I'm, I'm so glad I missed he that. He says, you know, Dogecoin, get this. And everyone follows. And it's when I think of all the kids that want to emulate the it's like first we had Trump as the, you know, troll in chief of, and now Elon Musk is Twitter's troll in chief, you know, and he really is trolling. They, they, you know, the, anyone who uses they to mean whatever, the, the left or the elite or the secret, the they are doing this, they, it's like, oh man. So personally, I'm most aggravated by Musk because he plays a part in the public conversation where yeah. Bezos is kind of, does things he flies his rocket ships and he has his yacht and his yacht that services his yacht because you can't land a copter on the regular yacht and there's not enough gas or whatever it's just crazy to have a yacht that services your yacht yeah it's like that's that's wild so i mean none of them the 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 amazon monopoly is certainly dangerous to anyone else who wants to do business or create value it's a Mm -hmm. giant like communist it's like a politburo thing it's this huge board uh so it's it's dangerous and deal is dangerous for his accelerationism his kind of bastardization of rene girard and catholic mythology to yeah, think it's like, fascism fascism right you know he's a big he's a, he's a supporter of trump for reasons that trump wouldn't even understand you know yeah he's a bad guy so well bad guy's a strong way to say it he really believes that he believes in scapegoat culture and that once you have a big enough scapegoat, you know, then you purge somehow that yeah. need. I mean, they all envision good for humanity. Musk is is dedicated to the trillion people he thinks are going to be spread out through the galaxies in the future and believes that the eight billion today are OK to sacrifice us for the good of that because there's more people then. Yeah. So they all have certain utility equations. But, yeah, I would say you got to look inside to figure out which is which is the most dangerous one, which one makes you feel the less confident in your own uh, worldview, you know? Absolutely. And and so my second one is, the book talks about, about these bunkers and these kind of crazy, ridiculous ideas. What would you say is one of the craziest ideas you heard about like bunker technology and bunker life? <laughs> I guess the, the craziest was um, the ways in which these guys want to maintain authority over their security personnel. Now, most of them have like 
they've contracted a certain number of Navy SEALs to come fly out and, and protect them. But they're all really conscious of the fact that when their money's worthless, these Navy SEALs might not want to protect them anymore. So they that was, the, that was a Jay Z reference, right? Like you hired them to blast for you. Now they're blasting at, at you, <laughs> right? And they all see that coming. So they're thinking about: Do I have robot guards that guard the regular guards? Do I have shock collars? Do I know the 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 combination on the safe? And it was like the craziest is that they really think that they can somehow have no human relationship with people and then expect these people to protect them with their lives in a post-apocalyptic realm. doesn't make sense. It, if yeah. anything, that should be enough for them, for them. I mean, this is what I told them. I said, look, start paying for those guys' daughters' bat mitzvahs today, right? You know, invite them over, <laughs> start having poker games. If you pay for someone's daughter's bat mitzvah, he's not going to be able to shoot in the in the yeah. <laughs> We hope. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to get us into the drop, and and the drop is just a, a recommendation on on anything at all that our our listeners can can check out. And I'll go really first. I'll go first. I have one one quick drop, which is a show, ironically, on Amazon Prime called Upload. It has two seasons. I've completed season one. And I think it's a, it's a very interesting, just kind of fun look at a future that is dealing with a lot of the things we're, we're kind of talking about, right? Like kind of corporate extraction models gone wild, this idea of long life and what heaven can be and digital uploading. And just it's just a fun, a fun show that I think tells some kind of interesting truths about where we're, we're heading. And it's, um, again, upload on Amazon Prime. I watch it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think you'll get a laugh at it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So your drop is? And there's a podcast I've been listening to. That counts as a drop. Called, oh, absolutely. Uh, it's called True Anon. So it's like QAnon, but it's true. True Anon. And it's a, a brilliant comedian and a brilliant woman just talking about kind of QAnon-y stuff that is true. You know, there is the truth. Like I was saying, like, how are we being fucked over? So not the crazy myth, but they sort of uncover the, the essence of it. And at the same time, they satirize conspiracy theory in a way that makes it a lot easier to distance oneself. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I did have that crazy thought too. Okay, thank you for airing it out. So I'm just having a lot of fun listening to them uh, it's nice. I don't know. I don't know if it counts as dirtbag left. Someone told me I'm turning into a dirtbag left, but I no, don't know what not. that is. But if I am, you got to tell me. I don't think they are, though. I think they're um, okay. just smart. No, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. It sounds it sounds interesting. And, you know, screw all that dirt, dirtbag left yeah. bullshit. Yeah, screw labels. That. It's just labels. Yeah, gotta you know another another rapper gotta gotta read the labels. Yeah. That's from um that's from Jizza. Gotta read the labels. So you know Douglas, this was awesome. I always love having these conversations. Again, the book is Survival of the Richest: Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. It will be out. It's out now. By the time people are listening yep. to this, it will be out in book um, and audio book that I narrate myself beautifully. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so so check that out. And steal it if you have to do whatever. You know, it's fine. The book's written. They paid me already. So it's fine. Just get it. Get the book. Go to the library. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of libraries. You can purchase it. You can listen to the audio book. Yeah. And, you know, Douglas, I always appreciate you coming on the show and your willingness to just kind of riff with me. And, and we have some fun. And 
it's always an enjoyable experience. I was I had this one circled on my calendar for a while, so I'm um, glad you were able to come on the show. Yeah. All right. And I'll have you back on mine soon, too. Absolutely. Right. I'm always down to come and talk and bring the energy, bring that BK Excellent. energy. Thank you. All right, brother. You take care. All right. Take care. Okay. Be good. Thanks. You can listen to The Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at FarFlungPhil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.